Thank you for listening to the Coal Mind Podcast. This is David Cole from Dallas, Texas. It's July 19th, 2020, and today I'll be talking about an incredibly close court case where the 16 judges on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit just split 8 to 8 in a free speech dispute between the Houston Community College Board and one of its board members. By studying this very, very close case, hopefully I can explore some of the First Amendment issues that underlie what we now today call cancel culture, and together we can learn more about that phenomenon. We've all seen it on a team, a board of directors, even a family deciding where to go on vacation or where to eat. There always seems to be that one person, that guy, that just marches to the beat of a different drummer and has a different point of view and likes to express that point of view. That's what happened in the case of Wilson versus Houston Community College System Board. The official report of the case tells us the story of what happened. David Wilson, a resident of the Houston area, was elected to a six-year term on the board of, uh, of the Community College System in 2013, Board of Trustees it was called. He took office, served without incident for a couple of years, but beginning in 2017, he began to have differences of opinion with the other trustees as to how things were being run. He believed they were violating the bylaws of the board, making poor decisions. In particular, the board had made a decision to open a campus in Qatar. Sounds a little odd at first, but for a substantial oil-producing oil industry area like Houston, I can see the connection. But he thought that was a poor decision. He expressed his point of view, and then he went outside the organization of the board to make his viewpoint known by arranging for robocalls to be made to people that lived in the community college area about the board's actions. He gave an interview with a local radio station, that kind of thing. Uh, he made some other complaints and ultimately filed a lawsuit against the board, saying they were violating the bylaws and the ways they were holding meetings, that sort of thing. He went on to hire a private investigator to check on whether one of the other trustees, in fact, lived in the district. He put a website up or he published some of the things that were on his mind, um, and this went on until 2018. The board, uh, the other members of the board had had enough, but there really wasn't a whole lot they could do because Mr. Wilson was elected, and if you're elected, you can't be unelected. All you can do if you don't like the person is to wait for that term to run. But they took the most strong action that they could under the circumstances. They met in January, and they had a, a meeting, and they passed a resolution of censure, censuring Mr. Wilson for his actions, saying he was not acting in the best interests of the college, had violated bylaws by his own actions, said in the censure it was the highest level of sanction available to them, uh, warned him to cease and desist from such conduct in the future and said that they would continue to pass uh, censures like this if he continued with the kind of behavior he'd been exhibiting. This led to him uh, bringing a federal lawsuit claiming that this censure resolution was a violation of his First Amendment rights to free speech. Ultimately, his term ran out, a six-year term, and he is no longer a member of that board, but the lawsuit continues because he claims he was damaged as a result of the things the board said about him in their censure resolution. I said at the beginning of this podcast, this was a tie game, ultimately. And the first part of the game was played in the federal district court in Houston, and then it went on appeal to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, which is where the first half of this tie game for our podcast had been played. The Fifth Circuit is one of the most powerful parts of our government that you might not have ever really thought about. Uh, there are a dozen courts of appeals in the federal court system between the trial courts and the United States Supreme Court in Washington. The Fifth Circuit is the one for Texas. It includes Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi. 
And as a practical matter, in that three-state area, it's the last word on what federal law means. The U.S. Supreme Court takes only a few cases a year uh, as a matter of the way they run their docket. It takes maybe a dozen cases, probably less than that, from the Fifth Circuit in a given year. So it's pretty much the last word. And at the time of this case, and this will be important when we get to the second act or the second half of our game here, the court was playing with a man down. Its full count of judges is 17 by statute, but at this time it had only 16, an even number, which is a problem for a court because there was still a vacancy in Mississippi that was being handled by the Judiciary Committee at the time. But they don't do their work in groups of 16. They do it in groups of three for the most part. And the three-judge panel that heard this case agreed with Mr. Wilson. It looked at what he said. It looked at what the board did. And it said that in the board's censure resolution, it noted this, the board specifically said it was punishing Wilson for criticizing other board members for taking positions that differ from his own about this campus in Qatar, robocalls, and his access to this interaction with the press, the radio, and his website. It said that it uh, also mentioned the filing of the lawsuit that he had filed earlier about whether the board was following its bylaws. The court said, we have cases on similar issues, not directly on point, but close enough that say that reporting municipal corruption undoubtedly constitutes speech on a matter of public concern, the kind of speech that our First Amendment is most concerned with protecting, and it finds that Wilson had stated a viable claim. Now, importantly, this doesn't mean he's won his case. This just means he gets into the courthouse. Uh, the board had said that as a matter of law, there just isn't a First Amendment claim on these circumstances, so who knows what happens with the lawsuit ultimately. But as of now, Wilson is still standing. He has a viable claim. The, the, the community college board uh, didn't like how things stood, and they sought review of the full court. This is where the second half of the, of the ball game starts. The court, you have the right to ask the full court, all 16 judges at the time, to consider a matter if you don't like the way the panel came out. The court does that very rarely. In civil cases, just a handful during a year. But it's an important part of the process. Litigants that feel like their case needs to be heard by more than just three judges have a chance to express that. Any judge that might be interested, even if there's not a formal vote or decision about the case, has a chance to weigh in and talk to the other members of the panel about that. And in this case, it got some interest. It drew some briefing from some groups in the state that, that deal with education law issues. It went to a formal vote of the Court of Appeals as to whether to take the case for consideration, argument, the whole thing, by the full en banc court. The vote ended in an 8-to-8 eight eight tie. That's what happens when you have an even number of judges on a large court. And as a, under the court's rules, the tie meant that the panel opinion stands. So, so far, good for Wilson. The issue that the, 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 the other eight judges saw that didn't like the way the panel had come out had to do with the board's right to speak. They saw it, and this is in the, they didn't all write on this, but you can see this argument in the briefing made by the board and its, its amicuses that weighed in with briefs in, their, in support of their side, that this guy has the right to speak, but we also have a right to speak as a government entity. We have a right to say what we think we're supposed to be doing, what we think our policy is, and to try to advance the goal of education in the Houston area. And writing eight, her own opinion, not for all eight judges, but probably expressing the views of certainly some others of them, Judge Edith Jones from Houston said that allowing this, the, the, she called the panel decision in, in somewhat colorful language, the harbinger of future lawsuits. 
It weaponizes any gadfly in a legislative body and inflicts an immediate pocketbook injury on the censuring institution. Political infighting of this sort should not be dignified with a false veneer of constitutional protection and has no place in the federal courts. That point of view, though, did not carry the day. And as of now, at least until the odd number of judges that we now have, the 17th judge has been confirmed and the issue comes up again, the board has a right to speak, but it doesn't have the right to go so far in its speech as to censure Mr. Wilson as part of its speaking. That's the law now as to a government entity and a very specific kind of entity, a board of trustees of an educational institution that's having a problem with one of its members who's behaving in a way that it thinks is inappropriate. We now have some guidance about that particular situation. And there are a lot of issues there that are unique to the, it being a government agency and the involvement of, of people in the political process by which our government does its work, in this case, educating people in the Houston Community College system. But the issue behind that is a deeper one, and it's the one I began this discussion about, about that guy. When does speaking a contrary point of view, when you're dealing with a that guy, or you're in the majority and there's a vociferous, strongly held point of view by the minority that you really don't agree with, when does speaking that contrary point of view become what has been called cancel culture in our recent discussions about, about certain political issues? Think about it. What happens if a homeowners association has a member that criticizes them a lot, there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of emotion, and they deny the use of the area swimming pool to that member? You have neighbors in a community, and they decide they're not going to let so-and-so's kids come over to play because the mom always says a bunch of stuff at school board meetings that they don't like. At what point does the dynamic that we saw in this case become one that goes from simply arguing and having debate to cancellation and trying to affirmatively silence the other person in a way that we don't like in our free society? Those are hard questions, and if they seem difficult to you as you confront them in your own life and think about them in situations that you encounter, you can at least take some heart that in this case, uh, there's some evidence that it's a close question even for a very sophisticated audience with a lot of law to look at to guide them. They can be very difficult. They involve questions not only about law in the case of that we just studied, but in the questions about what it means to have a majority, what it means to have a dialogue, and ultimately what it means to get along with your neighbors. And the back and forth in this case is a back and forth that we see a great deal in our society today and that raises a very important question as to how we want to conduct ourselves, whether we want to continue to allow certain kinds of speech or whether it's appropriate to shut them down, as some people may say in certain situations, or inappropriate to go that far and become a cancel culture where people are silenced instead of speaking. A difficult question, and this won't be the last time that we deal with it. Today on the Coal Mine Podcast, we explored the recent First Amendment case of Wilson versus Houston Community College System, where a couple of weeks ago, the Fifth Circuit split right down the middle, eight to eight. We looked at the policies on either side of the question in that case, and we hopefully gained some insights into the broader arguments relating to what we sometimes call in our society, cancel culture. Next, I look forward to exploring more new opinions from the federal courts in 2020, as well as some of the new public health regulations we are seeing as states and cities continue to wrestle with the profound challenges that are posed by the COVID-19 pandemic. You can follow this podcast on Spotify and iTunes, and thank you for listening.